1: week episode here couple of game sixes to discuss and since neither of them ended up that close by the end i I think we'd like to focus our discussion a little bit on what if anything came out of these games that the road team is going to be able to lean on in a game seven that might change the, the way the series has gone for those two teams on the road let's start with the just completed game here denver and portland portland 119 denver 108 another crazy offensive game portland finishing with a 131 offensive rating the nuggets had a 117 offensive rating that would have led the nba and yet uh, they lost by 11 points very slow paced game which is for part of this series has obscured just how offensive of a series it has been and portland certainly had the offensive fireworks dame lillard got the three ball going had 17 points in nine minutes in the third and that staked portland to their lead so uh, i don't want to understate that especially since he was really gutting it out he looked exhausted through most of the game and rodney hood was really good but i actually thought the biggest reason for optimism in game seven for Portland was the play of Zach Collins
0: yeah it was and Collins was one of the big differences between the first quarter when Denver did really get going they had an offensive rating we're doing it for the NBA cast over 140 for most of that first quarter they were getting some offensive rebounds they were getting looks and I mean it was also some of that disastrous Portland strategy early in the game where they were they had a minu on Jokic and they were bringing the double from the near side and so Murray and Gary Harris were stroking threes. But then after that, it was really, we started to see some of the blueprint. Now, you can't see all the blueprint when Jokic isn't on the floor, but the beginning of that second quarter, I thought that Collins played well, CJ McCollum played well, and Rodney Hood played well. And then what was intriguing was the, some of the successes they had did carry over into those other minutes. I thought they did a better job contesting shots all around the floor. And also they were helped by Jamal Murray settling way too much. He got hot early, but sort of paralleling Clay Thompson. The shots he got hot on were not the same as the shots that he attempted later on in the game.
1: Yeah, he also got to the foul line. It got tripped a couple of times as he was getting into those floaters, and and he was able to attack. I mean, it, the strategy I thought just made no sense at all. It completely failed in game five. I don't know why they went back to it, where you've got Aminu and Harkless in there, but you're not switching the pick and roll of Murray and Jokic, and trying to play conventional pick and roll defense with Aminu. I guess to get back to Jokic, but then Jokic just went into the post. To and they're doubling one pass away as you as you talked about it and giving up wide open threes or murray w- was able to attack the closeouts and get to the basket um but yeah I, I thought the blazers looked a lot better i mean they, they called timeout and they switched it back i think they were down like 16 to 7 or something like that and then they switched it back to cancer and then it it didn't get much better from there but denver really the most points that they had in a quarter was 28 after that first quarter when they put up 34 points on only 22 possession and 20 in the second and then in the fourth they got up to 28 just kind of in not quite garbage time but the all right just don't give up a bunch of threes defense late strategy uh, when you've got the 10 point lead for Portland and Collins I thought he was effective first off in helping to prevent Evan Turner from getting killed by Paul Millsap in the post which happened in game five he was helping out a lot on Plumlee into the lane then they played him with cancer finishing out the, the half and Collins finished with 14 points five of five from the foul line five block shots and and uh plus 15 in 29 minutes i think all of which were played in just two stints uh where he came in at the end of the first and the third and then just merited staying uh, on the floor so the blazers outscored him 32 to 20 in the second quarter to get out to a four-point halftime lead and then after denver surged back that's uh, when lillard went off but then i thought really in the fourth quarter it was collins's rim protection that was huge and I'll give you some stats on that denver's shot chart 11 to 24 at the rim 5 of 22 on floaters but they really were having they weren't just sailing in right to the dotted line unmolested murray and Jokic with these floaters they actually had to pull up more at the elbow they were contested a little bit more from behind the rotation was there early a lot of times from collins and those five block shots really helped to intimidate them really for the first time more mobility to get in front of drivers and contest at the rim and so so that led to that 16 of 46 in the paint and 5 of 22 from floaters in particular i mean that's the nuggets will shoot better on floaters in the next game but they had to take a lot of them they're usually pretty good at them but i thought these were a little bit lower in quality than say in game five
0: using the nba's tracking stats collins had a game high 15 contested shots even though he only played 28 minutes and a lot of guys is, played. is that
1: is that the uh the hustle stats that's the hustle stats. this is right? the
0: hustle stats yes
1: yeah yeah so so as a just to make it clear that the tracking sets, this is not this is like the one where, not
0: spe- second spectrum
1: yeah someone sitting there and marks down zach collins contested shot just right subjectively which you know i i don't think that that's unreliable necessarily but just sure. to make it clear yeah that just just not noting that
0: so so he had 15 only two of those were three so it was mostly at the rim which you would expect he also had 16 credited box outs nobody else in this game was credited with more than seven on either team and he made a difference out there and and so we had posited before the game and before last game about basically what portland was doing a lot of what their approach wasn't working and so i think we both put put our primary idea as going small but that going big could work too i mean paul milsep has been beasting on players who are smaller than he is throughout these playoffs rudy gay in particular in the first round and so putting other guy having other matchups there and also the ancillary benefits of rim protection and collins is not the most reliable sh- three-point shooter he did make one of his three in this game but just having him out there i think i think that really did unlock something. And another kind of amazing stat, again, lots of small sample size theater in this, to be to be damn sure. But Harkless and Al Farouk those guys basically got the Keith Bogans, so they played about the first seven eight minutes of each of each half. Denver put up a, a 142 offensive rating when those guys were on the floor. 102 when Zach Collins was on the floor. And Denver missed more shots than you would expect, and, and a few other things in there. But the shots they were getting were materially harder in those non-starter minutes, and some of that was the extremes of the first few minutes of the game but overall i thought even in the third quarter when they were a little bit more down to earth the shots that denver was getting were harder in these less less standard lineups.
1: yeah so i might even consider starting collins and cancer together in yeah
0: i mean you're gonna need to give him a quick hook then because he is still your backup center but right by all means if, if giving him more minutes on the floor they do have two days off and then you you make it to the next round and you figure all that stuff out after that but it would be tough to do that after alfred camino was molten two for four from three Three in this game he actually you know did hit some of his jump shots Harkless had a, a challenging night he had a few times where he posted up Jamal Murray but ended up one of five from the field and because of the structure of Denver's offense those guys aren't as impactful as they would be in another series there's kind of this weird parallel with some some of the other matchups the Portland's had where well, okay the other the players that Denver has that are the best offensive forces just aren't really Harkless and new guy
1: yeah uh, now they did have Harkless on Murray and that didn't go too so well I think he's still probably their best option there even if they're playing a conventional pick and roll style to try and fight over screens contesting from behind and they actually ended up going with rodney hood and hood was awesome in this game i probably give short shrift to him early on eight of 12 25 points three of four from the foul line six of or, or i'm sorry six of nine from the foul line i mean that's got to be like close to a career high in free throws for rodney hood there are a lot of plays where he was just jumping over guys and they're hitting on the arm or or stepping underneath them and, and fouling him uh and then three of four from downtown and i mean crazy to think that rodney hood just isoing against this denver team i mean and denver has really been so lucky that they haven't had anyone who could take advantage of this now you know if they had gary harris guarding rodney hood or they put craig on him briefly but with cj and dame out there you know they got to put jamal murray on hood and hood uh, has been able to eat at murray's expense going back of course uh, to that epic game three for denver Jokic was awesome again eight assists 29 Points, 10 to 15. Probably needs to get more shots, I think, if he's going that well. And I think, especially if they're going to go with Collins as the only center, Jokic should be able to just completely destroy him in the post where Collins just is not strong enough, I don't think. And the other important thing for Collins was simply only getting two fouls. You know, I mean, he's like been averaging like five fouls a game in 15 minutes in this series, but especially on the road, that might be a reason not to start him, frankly, it, it potentially early foul trouble there. But um, the other thing that the Blazers did at least a little bit was keep Denver out of transition late. You know, I think in this very slow series, even to such an offensive series, whichever team is able to run more has a little bit of a, an advantage. Um, the offensive glass was still a strength for Denver, but it wasn't too devastating. They also had some sequences like in game two where they just kept getting offensive rebounds and just could not get the stick back to go. Um, you know, well, so I mean, I there was that number... one
0: where they had, I think, four offensive rebounds on the play and produced zero points.
1: Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, so that one was really, I'd say the offensive rebound is pretty much even in this game. Cantor had six offensive rebounds. And then he also drew three loose ball fouls on Nikola Jokic going after offensive rebounds. So really that's essentially nine offensive rebounds for Portland, which is pretty insane. Uh, and that was really helpful as well. Well, so um, I just I
0: just looked it up. This is pretty amazing. Second chance points. Denver had 17 on five of 13 from the field. Portland had 12 on two of 15 from the field. Oof,
1: wow. <laughs> so really, the, the it was the first chance that were more impactful um although a lot of that was fouls obviously too. you know that the two of 15 but yeah because you can get get, get the to the free throw
0: line that doesn't count against the field goal percentage but it does count as point
1: um let's see what else i had in this one
0: well there was that weird scuffle that ended up producing a bunch of technicals but nothing i don't think it's going to get any suspensions that was bizarre and created a, yeah
1: i mean seth curry took exception to getting poked in the face which we missed it, watching live by will barton i just the zapruder filming of these altercations to me is is just like I, I couldn't have less interest in it frankly um so probably nothing further will come of that you would imagine um Lillard only played 36 minutes I think that was good he looked so tired I thought that actually helped him to some degree in the third to just kind of slow down and be a little bit more patient like he when he slowed down he got that foul when I think it was Murray who ran ran up his back Uh, maybe it was Craig and obviously got the really deep threes going again which was a a major problem for Denver because Jokic although I think he's done a very nice job in pick and roll defense this series uh, certainly compared to his supposedly defensive superior backup Mason Plumlee who every single time he's out on the floor in pick and roll defense just gets beaten and and gives up penetration which is the whole point of having the guy out there on the floor is you make him give the ball up and he just gets dribbled around every time Uh, but nonetheless Jokic if he's got to get beyond the three-point line right in the middle of the floor as well it's just it's going to be curtains for him he's going to get blown by so I loved Portland setting the screens way high up on the floor and once Lillard starts hitting that shot you know it really opens up so much for their offense
0: I know we talked we we've mentioned his odd shooting but I don't know that we went through the numbers from the third quarter which is worth it because it was a huge part of this game he scored 17 of their 29 points in that third quarter 6 of 10 from the field 3 of 6 from 3 got to the line twice and. Really, I mean that was that was the key part of his game. Other than that, I thought he was a little bit flat. Had, had some other nice moments to be sure, but he was huge in that third quarter. And I I also don't want to underappreciate CJ in that second quarter. He hit some tough shots when Lillard and Jokic were off floor, and that's what helped get Portland into a rhythm.
1: Yeah, because they were down eight at the start of the uh, or at the start of the second quarter, and they barfed that lead up in like two minutes without Jokic on the floor. I mean, it's really just incredible how bad they've been And so Malone wanted to get Jokic a little bit more rested because you know they've got game seven at home probably didn't want to just totally tire him out for that game you can afford that luxury and he did bring Jamal Murray back in and Murray ended up playing 46 minutes in this game somehow which seems a little short-sighted to me frankly he played hard he had four offensive rebounds uh, himself but it was 7 to 20 and the floaters uh, were not going down for him I thought when he had cancer back in pick and roll I thought he should have attacked him more and tried to get to the basket, finish over Cantor who's not the greatest room product in the world especially going to murray's right Cantor's left where he's got to contest with his left hand um but murray really only did that once and but 46 minutes i mean he's a guy who really relies on his energy and also he's getting attacked every possession down defensively they're either trying to get him switched on a lillard or hood was going at him so it, it did seem a little odd to me and monte morris only played two minutes and that was and he was negative seven in that two minutes that was at the start of the second so murray he played the entire second half so i i did not agree with that approach especially because you know they're down 10 the whole fourth quarter really like it, it was it wasn't like oh man we're just if we just extended more like we're gonna win this game it, it really was not that at
0: all right and the cost benefit analysis in game sixes can shift really quickly and having an extra day off probably let both coaches be a little bit more aggressive but murray in particular i don't think playing him that many minutes produces the benefit because his per minute energy is is pretty high and even though Morris is imperfect they do have other ball handlers that can be on the floor we should also mention that Malik Beasley was just off like he missed a bunch of shots he he had close to a highlight on that I think it was a pass from Paul Millsap that was just a little bit too high it could have been just a uh, big dunk I think that would have lowered the lead that would have would have cut the margin to like five or something like that but zero for eight from the field some bad defensive plays not as egregious maybe as as some of the other games in this series because Beasley's defense has been a big a big reminder of why putting him in the starting lineup would be a a problem. So, yeah, I wanted to make sure that we mentioned that. And I'm very excited for for this Game 7. If you – those who remember, you and I both picked this series to go 7 and picked different teams. I bucked history by saying Portland, you know, because home teams win – 80% 80% of the time in a game seven and i think portland has a better chance than most teams in this situation but you have a lot of weight going in denver's favor
1: yeah certainly dame mullard could just go crazy and win this game and still though you can't feel good when you're portland that the only time we've stopped denver in the series when they didn't stop themselves which was game two was with zach collins on the floor for like three quarters and that's who you're relying on to not get in foul trouble and play a bunch of minutes and yeah you know he he definitely he he's a very very inconsistent player and at home he can show some signs very vulnerable to getting in foul trouble the verticality you know he can definitely get called for fouls that is borderline you know he's getting better at verticality but can still commit some fouls that way and you know offensively can he hit shots as well not the greatest finisher around the rim you know a second year player he was very young came was a freshman year when he came out at at gonzaga and did not have hardly any high level experience before that so i think if this turns into a shootout i like denver's chances a little more if portland can just hold them down below like a 120 offensive rating then maybe damon cj can do enough to take them home and then rodney hood is going to be the other wild card here i mean i think for denver they're going to be relatively consistent in this series there are no answers for Jokic, and unless they just cannot hit a three to save their lives they're going to have a good offensive performance they portland hasn't solved the defensive glass that's the one thing where collins doesn't do as much when he's the lone center yeah he can really get kind of beat up down there by millsburgs sap and Jokic.
0: did we mention that evan turner didn't take a shot in this game he played 19 yeah. minutes
1: yeah that's that's actually another thing i'm a little worried about is because they because evan turner was in there for the whole fourth quarter and it was kind of like all right we're playing okay we're not going to take him out that stats is going to play him more and i to me he didn't do much to earn staying in there i mean I, his defense on Millsap was okay he had a, a few assists but if denver is going to be more prepared for him in the next game and just not guard him at all i, I think that's going to lead to issues so again, I think Cantor Collins is their best group, especially on the boards. And uh, we'll see. I mean, there definitely are enough wild cards for Portland to win, but and I would probably give them a little bit better chance in a road game seven than you would for Denver. I think the two days off are gonna help Dame Lillard in particular, but there's uh, I still make Denver a substantial favorite. My substantially favorite charity is uh, Team Rubicon. Danny, you have been a donor with them, and full disclosure, they are not paying us to, to do this ad, we just had the space, and we wanted to tell you about a way that you can uh, give back to communities in need. So, what was it that first attracted you to them uh, when you began donating to them in 2012?
0: I find charity a very personal thing, and so I was looking for something at that time to 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 put a little bit behind and something that I believed in that I thought I thought had a really good idea behind it, and, and that's when I found Team Rubicon because they have a, a an idea that makes a lot of sense to me, and I've been so impressed with the Way they execute. So natural disasters, they affect people all over the world, wherever you live, whatever your situation, and the resources that are necessary that come to bear in those circumstances, whether it's a hurricane or an earthquake or, or any number of things, are it's a it it's a crush, it can sometimes come with no notice. And so, what Team Rubicon does is they help in those circumstances by connecting veterans with first responders and, and solutions with technology to make to make life easier on the people that are. On the ground and to be more people on the ground. And so it's a fantastic use of resources also because veterans have amazing skill sets for this specific need. And many times when they're coming back, they're, they could be looking for a purpose and a community and an identity. And Team Rubicon aims to give all of them that while helping out these communities when they need it so badly. And so Team Rubicon has gone after that since 2012. I've stayed, that was what brought me there and what has stayed with me me and why i've been there is because they have executed on that mission so so thoroughly and so effectively all over the world
1: yeah the way to donate to them join us in supporting their mission Go to TeamRubiconUSA.org slash Capspace. That TeamRubiconUSA.org slash Capspace. Learn how to donate, or you can learn how to volunteer yourself. Toronto and Philly now, I'm gonna just pretend that that fourth quarter never happened. It took so long, and the game was so out of reach, and Nick Nurse decided to play his starters for some completely unknown reason, and there are a million reviews and fouls, and so I'm gonna just say that Philadelphia defeated toronto 87 to 67 which was the score after three quarters and really was the competitive portion of the game.
0: and in that game that shockingly ended after three quarters a lot of <laughs> there were a lot of standouts for philadelphia and to me the most the most notable one was ben simmons because simmons he looked was more aggressive with the ball in his hands in some circumstances without it and nine to twelve from the field during the competitive portion of the game also had six rebounds six assists and yeah the box score stats are a lot or hell of a lot better for him than before but for me it was more about the eye test that he was more engaged he put more pressure on Toronto's defense and he did a lot in transition but he I, th- I thought he was also more effective in the half court than he had been really throughout these playoffs
1: yeah and they put the ball in his hands more semi-transition I, I think was big as well but they at least had him initiate some sets before he went down to the dunker spot and he actually like got some dunks out of the dunker spot a nice alley-oop from Jimmy Butler had a tip dunk a, on the offensive glass which was big he did one of his better jobs on Kawhi although they they switched up that assignment a a little bit as well now worth noting that this is the outlier for Simmons in this series and going back to the idea of whether Philly has found something here I wouldn't necessarily say so I didn't think that they did that much different strategically they shot 38% from three Toronto shot 24% from three and Bede really still did not get going uh he was four of 13 and two of his four makes were three pointers only got to the foul line five times but but (laughs) he was plus 40. And plus, Mike Scott wait, wait, was no, us go. 31. Let's go
0: beyond that. He was plus 40 in three quarters that his team outscored their opponent by 20. So that means in the short period of time that Joel Embiid did not play, they got outscored by 20.
1: It, it was pretty insane. And I mean, he, he played 30 of the first 36 minutes. Six minutes they got outscored by 20 points. Brett Braun abandoned Greg Monroe. He went back to Boban. And, and really, certainly they didn't play very well. Kawhi could get whatever he wanted to pick and roll but it was the offense there in the first half they're 0 for 7 with three turnovers when Embiid was out of the game so obviously it's not gonna be that crazy of a dichotomy going forward here but they still despite how poorly Embiid has played offensively and he also had three turnovers in this one as well their defense has not held up hardly at all when he's been out of the game they tried mike scott at center in the third quarter that didn't work very well either but the good news was Embiid was able to play the amount of minutes that he was, and maybe he was feeling better overall for the game. Embiid played 36 minutes, and that's a lot better than the 30 that he's kind of been on before. Probably would have played even more had the game been close. They've got two days off now. He can recover even further from that upper respiratory infection. But that said, I, I still think Toronto has the edge going into the game seven. I would probably handicap it about just the same numbers. That the normal game seven is 79 80% chance for the home team. For Toronto, Kawhi had 24 points but was not as efficient. Really, what's happened is the three ball has abandoned him the last couple of games. And once again, you know, I mean, he's getting three minutes of rest per half, if that, maybe two. And they weren't able to survive the minutes that he was off the floor in this one. Siakam, I thought, has looked better at the last two games. They found ways for him to beat the strategy of Impede guarding him, but it's really been the support guys, and that's six to 25 shooting from three. Mark Gasol is just such a massive bellwether for them. If he hits three pointers and he gets scored a few in in that meaningless fourth quarter, but he was 0 for five in the competitive portion of the game. Sergi Ibaka also 3 for nine during that period. Lowry did little uh, as well. Danny Green, I thought, I thought had one of his worst defensive games in a while. And for the Sixers, Jimmy Butler just continues to have a really nice series. He actually outplayed Kawhi, uh, I'd say, for the first time in this series. So philly certainly very capable of having this performance they've had two blowouts in philly I, i've been a little disappointed with how toronto has played in this series to get blown out twice uh, in philly it, you know you would hope that they could have made and then to barely eke out a win in the one that they did win that they probably should have lost that game frankly has not been impressive but philly uh, has had an equally rough time of it in toronto and that is where game seven will be played
0: that is correct i have a a guessing game for you <laughs> Bobon's first half net rating
1: Okay, so I don't think they scored at all. So his offensive rating for them was probably zero. That is correct. And they outscored him by twenty in I wanna say like six minutes. So no I, mean, I think it might have even been like five minutes. So yeah, that's that's not too good. Uh I'm gonna say uh negative one forty.
0: Disturbingly close. Negative one thirty six point four. <laughs> That that and and Mike Scott plus one twenty eight point nine, Joel Embiid plus eighty two point one in in nineteen twenty seven. That's the more that's the more notable one. I mean, yeah, and
1: Scott was hitting the three pointer. I mean, that and
0: and he became their in the second half. He became their second unit center, and I you know in in the competitive portion of the game. because and
1: and that's really what it's got to be, right? It does. Go you go with the five starters, and then Ennis and Mike Scott, and nobody else plays a minute. I think that's where you have to end up here in game. Seven and very interested to see how many minutes Joel Embiid ends up playing. The good news for the Raptors is that the East Finals won't start until Wednesday, or or the Sixers if they're able to win. So you really can go all lot I mean, Game Seven or tie regardless, but there won't be any consequences. Hopefully, in the next round, they'll at least get two days break instead of the very quick turnaround like you would have in the West. If oh, in fact so, uh, Houston Golden State goes to a Game Seven as well on, on Sunday.
0: Something else that I think we got a reminder of in game six was Nick Nurse needs to I think he needs to be the adjustee and just tie Marcusol's minutes to Joel Embiid because there was that stretch where it wasn't all just Joel Embiid beasting on the Raptors but the the Sixers just crushed Toronto in that really short stint and to a certain extent when the other team has a dominant player like Joel Embiid and you have one guy who's better suited to stop him than everybody else that becomes your strategy and so if the other team zigs then you have to zig with them
1: yeah a few other notes here Toronto trailed by 19 got back to within seven when Embiid was off the floor and then were able to push the lead up to 15 at halftime the Raptors missed a lot of wide open threes Leonard in particular had two wide open ones that could have maybe made it a little more interesting Philly did not run that often but when they did they had a 225 offensive rating in transition in the first half so better than scoring two points every transition possession that was pretty Impressive. Another big thing for Philly was getting to the rim. 15 to 24 at the rim in the first half. And I thought they really took advantage of Gasol in the DHO game and doing more DHOs with Butler on the side, getting him into the lane. That's how he was able to get going. And Gasol just is not the same moving in space, protecting the rim as much either with drivers coming right at him. He still is an absolute stalwart against Embiid in the post, but they did not get that much rim protection. Jimmy Butler had a massive str- at the start or I'm sorry at the very end of the second quarter where they put in Pat McCaw as a defensive replacement I think because somebody was on two fouls which it's just that's insane to me by the way like oh it matters so much whether he gets his third foul at the last possession of the first half or the first possession of the seventh second half and you make yourself worse Butler blows right by McCaw also the idea of oh I know we'll put in this defensive replacement who hasn't played a second and has been sitting in real time on the bench for an hour just go in and jump jar- guard Jimmy Butler I mean like coaches just have this idea of like oh yeah I'm just gonna these pieces are interchangeable and I'll just throw them in there and like have you ever played like do you know what it's like to just have to get up and go in like it's not like he's Pat McCaw is like on the exercise bike warming up for this moment um and he got blown by by Butler and then Butler had an awesome steal on Leonard and got out for a fast break dunk so that gave him that big lead at halftime which they essentially never relinquished uh pretty amazing to me I mean Philly by all accounts it was a great atmosphere but like there were fans booing them at times when they were like like they booed jo- Joel and bead missed mid-range jumper when they were up by 17 like not just grumbling but like actual booing by some people and then when toronto gets it back to down seven the fans start booing them again i mean it was really like <laughs> I-, I could believe i'd never seen anything like that when booing when your team is up and up by a lot in a game that they would eventually win by in a complete blowout. Oh I thought that was just insane. Um defensively against Kawhi they were doubling him a lot on the catch and with Toronto missing their three pointers that were pretty well Kawhi at one point did the Michael Jordan move of when the big is running over to double team you just attack the the big's outside leg on the double team blow past him and then he basically sets a screen on his own man and he rose up for the jumper that was awesome MJ used to do that it was I always really enjoyed it uh Brett Braun did well you mentioned the chess match of trying to match Gasol with his minutes at at the end of the first, Nurse left Gasol in just a little bit longer than Embiid, and then as soon as Gasol went out, Brett Brown brought Embiid back in. So, and it was—I thought that was interesting—and and Nick Nurse, you know to his credit has adjusted to try to line up those minutes but he didn't that time and that was just such an obvious adjustment to me too that j- that needed to be done that they didn't really make that until game three or so and really stick to it until game four and so all right they lost uh they lost game two and maybe if he does that in game two they don't lose that And but they're still in commanding position here with game seven at home anything else you had on this one
0: well i, th- I think we just put a finer point on it that toronto's bench largely turned back into a pumpkin abaca struggled van Vliet. Went back to just not doing a whole lot during during the time that he was on the floor, and then you know I actually thought Norm Powell was less of a negative, maybe maybe in his small sample size than before, but he could make some defensive miscues in Game Seven that will infuriate one group and enrapture rapture the other, just depending on depending on your perspective on the whole matter. So for both of for both of these games, for both these teams, this is going to be a pressure cooker that most of them haven't really gone through. I mean, Danny Green and Kawhi Leonard have a couple of these guys have made conference finals and you know like Paul Millsap has and in, the, in the Kyle first... Lowry
1: has played in a lot of game sevens in his career
0: yeah he has whether that helps or not we'll see but I mean, yeah, I mean sixth... that
1: actually I mean you want to say Kyle Lowry is a playoff choker I think their record in game sevens is three and one his record in game seven 20, 2014 against Brooklyn they lost uh they won two Yeah, because they sorry, never they... went
0: to a game seven against the Cavs did they
1: yeah, yeah and they won they won two in uh 2016 so i think he's two and one in, in game sevens in his career
0: yeah first of all i was not calling kyle lowry a playoff choker <laughs> i was just saying that his playoff experience is not as rosy
1: um i mean to me the number one variable in game seven is lowry danny green gasol ibaka if those guys make jump shots you toronto keeps them out of transition i think toronto can win this pretty comfortably if they don't then i think uh it's big problems for them and and it could go Either way. I right, would now privileged to have with us a former Houston rocket, Aaron Jackson, to talk a little bit about this Rockets Warriors series. Uh, we had to postpone uh, so Aaron can get a haircut. Uh, you realize this is an audio <laughs> podcast though, right? It's not, it's not video. I, I appreciate you trying to look good for the show though.
2: Oh man. I thought I was going to get the whole shebang and get on the, uh, get the podcast, uh, the video show. I thought I was going to see people seeing my face for the first time.
1: Hey, well, you're, you're welcome to come on, uh, the live show anytime. Um, if you're in San Francisco, sa- sadly we are not quite at the point yet where we can actually like pay you to come out. So <laughs> we'll have to rely on just <laughs> the luck that that you happen to be out there. Um, but I, I want to start talking about this Rockets Warriors series because you're intimately familiar with this team. It, you played with them in last year's playoffs. Signed uh, like second to last day of the regular season was it uh, last year?
2: Yep. Mm-hmm. got got second to the last game, and then I got with Sacramento and played and played that game, and then with the whole playoff series last year.
1: Um, So just what stuck out to you uh, watching this Rockets team in this series against the Warriors compared to uh, what y'all were going up against last year?
2: Uh, this series, it, I think they they got cut off guard the first two games, especially playing on the uh, on the uh, on the road. And you know, last season, last year they had the first two home games. We had the first two home games, and it was more of a uh, they're in the way type of feeling. Like you know, we want to get the championship, this and that, such and such. A, this was more like it seems like to them. It was more like we want revenge back. You know, that has to do with a lot of emotions, and those emotions are different, especially when it comes to being on the road. And I think they got shocked. The the first two games even though the score is close I don't think that uh um they played as well as they wanted to and from what I've seen for the, the coaches schemes and what we did last year get the playoffs we switched a lot earlier and we were more aggressive and PJ was more aggressive which you're starting to see right now
1: yeah you mentioned that so you think at the beginning of the series the defense wasn't as aggressive as it was at its peak last year
2: yeah they weren't they weren't aggressive at all uh, last year you know especially going on the road you 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 kind of and you see like the home team they they're used to it they're hot they're going and I think last year we came from um, what Utah, and they came to our home, and you know, and we were aggressive right from jump. And this year it's like, you know what? Uh, let's let's just see how it goes. And, and and the Warriors got hot and began the first two games, and you everyone I, I saw people I read people said that it was going to be a sweep, but you know they they recover real well. Yeah, I, I've been
1: impressed by what they're able to do in Houston. I mean, and I thought you know, like you were saying in games one and two. The Warriors really outplayed them, even though the score was close. I think Houston really outplayed the Warriors in games three and four, even though it it ended up being close. So, what have they been doing better now? Uh, to I know they lost Game Five. But we'll talk about that. But just to even get back in the series. What have they been do- been doing better now? Do you?
2: Uh, They've been. They've been. I, st- I think it started more with the offense. Really. They they started moving the ball a little bit more. Um, I know I know Harden shot a lot of threes. Still shooting a lot of threes. But he he's dribble drive a lot more than he usually uh, do against the switch. Um, and you know I think it was uh with them moving the ball in e- eg. You know, like the, the first what the two games in Houston. he's he played lights out, and when you get him going and Harden going, it's just like it's it's, it's a hard team to, uh, to beat, and then even with um, Austin Rivers contributing, man, like the role players play better on the road. I mean, play better at home for uh, Houston, and that definitely helped them, but... Um, I think I think you know with with Clay and Steph struggling too that that always that, that obviously helped but that I think that's more on the, the defensive end like I think uh, the Rockets are doing a good job defending those two guys.
1: Yeah it seemed like to me transition was huge for them especially in the first half of, of games three and four like that hit ahead pass real quick to eric mm-hmm. gordon on the right wing when you mm-hmm. were there you know because james likes to play a little slower chris at least at this point in his career likes to play a little mm-hmm. slower um but you know d'antoni his background is let's speed it up let's go fast it, w- like mm-hmm. what were the conversations like around that w- when you were there were they saying all right we got to play we got to play faster or is there just more of a recognition from the coaching staff like all right you know we're gonna need to slow it down and, and play more in a james and chris's style
2: it's It's more of a you know you 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 get in the locker room and you don't uh, you hear Mike Antonio and and the games we lose the games we win he goes hey they they show you the highlights of of what we need to do or what we did great and. Um, it's, it's, believe it or not, it's playing fast against them. It's playing real fast yep. against them. You get, like you said, you get the ball up against, you get the ball up to EG. You get a lot of, um, a lot of, you try to get as many threes up. And, and they, and they, I mean, they work on shooting threes like, they work on it like, like as a habit, like you wake up in the morning, eating breakfast. It's, they worked on it every day. So, especially playing at home, they try to play, it, uh, much faster. Yeah. It was, it was, uh, big on, uh, being a, a lot slower on the road. They, but well, we still wanted to get the, the same amount, um, three attempts up and hopefully he makes, but you know, we didn't want to give them the chance to have that outlet pass from Kevin Durant, like he did Steph Curry last night or to get a quick, uh, still and, and, and get the crowd involved. Cause once they get the crowd and go involved and Steph Curry start doing those shimmy shakes, um, it's, it's a real hard team to beat like that. So, um, I think I think I think the uh, Rockies did a good job of that last night. Just just couple couple bad breaks and they couldn't win the they couldn't win the game. But that's that's more the game plan from um, Mike Antonio and, and, and the Rockets in, those, in that situation. Yeah,
1: when you were there, you know, Jeff bizdelic is, is noted as kind of the defensive guy. He didn't come back at the start of the year. This year they struggled a lot defensively. Obviously they had some different personnel like Carmelo and stuff too. Now now he's back. When when you were there, was he? really the the main guy dealing with the defense uh, or was it you know was, was mike more involved with the offense like how how were the coaches kind of dividing the responsibilities up when you were there
2: oh oh no 100 100 he was the the defensive guy here uh, he, he broke down the film he uh he talked about defense when it was time to talk about defense um mike didn't talk much when it was time to talk about defense um he, he mike would say his points here and there but it was more jeff but Beyond that, they had a good communication with the whole team where, you know, P.J., P.J., James, and Chris, uh, they all shined in, um, chimed in when they could and, um... PJ, PJ's real vocal in that he gets along with Jeff like that. They talk about it. They bounce play. They bounce ideas off each other, and I think that's how the defense just became too much of a switching thing. And you know, and Jeff would just say what mistakes here or what need to be done there. Um, but it was mainly his job.
1: Yeah. No. I mean, and that's pretty typical, isn't it, for for most teams that, that you've been on that there's one coach who's kind of more the defensive coach.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Pretty pretty much but even in Europe. Um, you know, it's, it's a defensive coach, and it's an offensive coach, and the head coach just, he trusts his defensive guy.
1: Um, So, thinking back uh, to last series, do you remember, like, what they were really focusing on as far as, you know, what were the biggest defensive priorities? I mean, beyond just, okay, we can't let stuff get free, that kind of thing, but, like, do you remember any of the specific things that they were really trying to do to slow those guys down?
2: Uh, It was... <laughs> The, last year it was put ball put ball pressure on Draymond Green. Um, I, I know he's it's a it's a little bit different this year where he gets like to roam free because he's not shooting the ball as well. But it was it was more. Put a hand in his face, so he couldn't make those backdoor passes. He couldn't. Um, he couldn't. He couldn't get those. 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 When he says it's down screen, and you're head, and you're, you're off him, where you can't help the switch. It was just. It was a lot more of that. And now it's like switching and deny and don't let. Don't let Steph Curry catch the ball. But like you said, like this. This season it's more like Draymond's having such a tough time shooting the ball that we. That it looks like the Rockets and a lot of teams are trying to help off of help help off of him as much as possible.
1: Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, because when you're switching all those screens, like if you play it right as the offense you should have an opportunity if you set a good screen on someone a lot of times especially if it's a back screen to like have inside position cut to the rim and if you put enough pressure on the passer you can make it so like there's not as much of an opening there to make the pass even if the guy is open.
2: yeah exactly and with and I think the Warriors they realized that, and I think they they were so happy acquiring uh, Demarcus Cousins because they they were gonna play that the whole game. They was gonna hope that they switch, and it would have been uh, it would have been James or Chris. Or, eg, on on DeMarcus Cousins, and you know he's 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 a good back to the back uh, back to the uh, post uh, back to the rim finisher, and I think that would have helped them a lot. But right now it's it's really not a post presence. So w- once you see you see Eric Gordon, you see now e- Iman Shumpert, and you see a lot of defenders are pressuring the guy that's driven the ball. So even if they do try to look for the back slip or the back cut and look for the right pass, it's, it's a difficult pass to make. Not a lot of players can make that pass.
1: The other thing you you mentioned too is the idea of denying like off of the switch i think is the other thing that i was so impressed by what houston does normally is and particularly last year when they really had the warriors in mm-hmm. trouble because like you're forcing the guy i mean they don't deny like you know all the way back to half court you know like old school like duke style or something like that but yeah. they they do like okay you're gonna catch the ball 30 feet from the basket and it's just once again like if you're that far out every catch is a little harder you're a little more tired you can't make yep. those backdoor passes as easily when you're that far away i i, I was really impressed with that aspect of the strategy so that's something that they really emphasized a lot huh yeah and,
2: and, and like if you, if, you get, if you get a chance to pay attention look at clint clint capella is a great great example of how to uh when you when you when you switch it when you switch a down screen you switch any screen his his arms are always spread he he makes you catch the ball like you said 30 feet from the basket and and he he makes you he makes you cross over make you cross him over once or twice it's no straight drive to the basket where it was on a split with him on a switch with him it's a crossover crossover or Steph Curry like hitting up a quick flick wrist three but it's, it's difficult and for and and that's what and, and that's what uh, statistics say like if you're gonna beat us like that four straight games um or four games um going to state warriors then it's, it's your night but they think like it's hard to beat a team like that four games and like you said if Chris Paul wasn't hurt I think uh it would have been a different story
1: yeah so you come into the team second to last day of the season you you play the that one game in, in sacramento you haven't played in the nba before but you're also a really experienced player like you're not just like some rookie coming in but what was that like for you that, that first game in an nba uniform i think what did you play like 35 40 minutes or something in that game it just coming in but you know it's not like a a game that they really care that much about winning they got the number one seed wrapped up but just like, take me through what it was like for you in that like like forty eight hour period where you signed with them. What the conversations were like? How they tried to get you up to speed to the extent that they could in such a limited amount of time.
2: <laughs> Man, it, it was it was wild. I was actually in L A. and i went to the uh, the I went to the rockers the Rockets versus the Clippers. Uh, the lakers game that night and you know i was i saw some plays that i liked and i I actually put them down in my notes in my phone that i was gonna bring back to my chinese team Um, and i got a phone call the next morning i actually obviously i went out that night i I drank uh, i smoked you know i did all things that adults do um in la and um i got a phone call the next morning and they said can you play tomorrow i'm like i'm i Nate, Nate, i'm hung over i'm literally hung over i'm i'm open my eyes like i literally want to say who the hell is this calling me but it was my agent i'm just like i mean i don't know what you're talking about but my season's over he's like uh the rockets you know they, they you know they always been interested in they saw you getting personal yesterday uh they want to know if you want to uh Want to play for them in the playoffs? I'm just like, no, yeah, of course I want to play. And then they said we play today. Get on the jet. Can you get on the jet? I got the the team owner's jet, and I'm thinking like, hold on, I'm playing today. I don't have my sneakers anymore (laughs) Keep in mind, I'm still I'm dehydrated. Of course, I I didn't get a drink anymore. I went straight to the the Um, I'm just just trying to drink as much bottles of water as I can. I'm I'm looking at the owners like the owners family looking at me like I'm like I wonder they think I'm drunk or they still know I'm I'm hungover from last night because I didn't get the shower. I literally literally rushed me from as soon as I woke up to get on the on the Uber and get into the uh, the plane so I'm just looking like this is this is awkward as 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 fuck as I say but but <laughs> then I get there
1: that's a hilarious story by the way yeah
2: <laughs> i mean like all night all night like it's just just imagine like up uh, L.A. party scene in the movie, it was I had one of those nights, and um I get to the gym and they, and, they, and Trevor Reese is like he's not playing, he's like hey you want to wear my my sneakers? I'm just like what, is this really happening? I'm putting some random sneakers, random tight. I got I got someone's tight, they were too big, and I got in the game, and John Lucas was like I was like man I'm I'm I was I was partying last night. And he was like man, it's basketball, just play the game, play the game. And I was just like you know he's he's a funny dude, and um, it was it was it was fun actually, it was a great experience. You know I hit my first shot, and then um, you know just trying to learn to play through the fly as much as possible. More importantly, I was just trying to stay out of the way, not, not uh, mess up any, anyone's rhythm because I know it's the end of the season. And you know, I, I know being a little older vet, I know how people want to uh, get their stats at the end of the season. Yeah, wow, that, that's
1: ridiculous. So I mean, like, were you thinking, like, all right, I need to like go find a Foot Locker or something? And,
2: like, get, I was. Get I learned. Yeah, I'm, t- I'm texting my my agent like I'm going I'm to go to the mall real quick on the, on the way to the uh, to to the airport, and he's literally like, no, like they're now wait- they don't want to wait much longer. They've been waiting as long as possible. They want they want you to fly with them and then as soon as you get there I landed, hopped in a Tesla, and then they drove me straight to the airport. I mean, they drove me straight to the arena. I didn't get a chance to meet anyone. blah, oh, I just, here's the jersey, this and that. And I'm getting tights and random people with sneakers shoved in my face. <laughs> <laughs> it was it was crazy.
1: So, so like, I mean, did they, like, give you a playbook? Like, are you like, all right, I'm about to read this thing in 15 minutes? Or are you just like, all right, just go out there and play?
2: Zero, uh, so it was more like, you know, we got the, first, we got the best record in the NBA. This, this win or loss is not going to hurt us. Um, you know, just go out there and play. And more importantly, uh, stay uh, healthy, don't get injured. And then we'll we'll work your way in um, after this and then practice for the playoffs
1: so uh, after after that one game you go into playoff preparation what was playoff preparation like is it different you know going into a, a seven game series in the nba versus some of your uh, european experiences
2: oh it was it's, it's, it's totally different you know um, i've got a chance to play for like, like the top team in um, europe for a long time so our, our playoff experience was you know what pressure 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 every game matters you know like we're gonna practice hard we're gonna we gotta we gotta had a game one on Saturday. We're gonna practice hard Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and practice a little bit hard on Friday, and get ready to go uh, for the for the playoff game for Saturday and uh, Monday games. This here is just more like film, film. We played these guys tons of time. You know, we have a, we had a veteran team. You guys know each player on this team um, from like the back of your hand. And we're going to watch some clips. We're going to get some shots. Like I said, we're going to shoot a lot of threes. We're going to shoot a lot of threes. And before the game, we're going to give you the game plan. Mike and Tony walks in and he says what, what he wants. And, on top of that, he, he installs a lot of confidence. You're like, you know, we're the best team in the NBA, we're the best record, um, this and that. Our defense is this, this and that. And it gives, and then it gives you, like, a type of, like, a, a motivation. Like, you know what, there's there's no pressure on us, even though we're the one team. You just go out there and play. It's totally different from Europe uh, Europe, and um, the NBA.
1: So uh, what are, like, some of, like, your strongest memories uh, from that playoff run?
2: uh one was uh of course the dunk of james harden on the uh, Draymond green and oh yeah that was that was probably one of my, my favorite memories memories and best moment because I, I literally ran on the court and screamed with the top of my lungs and then, then, then one getting in the game and here some of my family was there and when playing against the warriors it was a blow and i scored like four points that was that was that was pretty uh dope you know playing scoring four points in like a couple like at least in a minute and. Other than that, just seeing like a group of guys that you uh, you watch on TV, just uh, just and you know, because I won a championship in Europe um, at the biggest stage, and you see the players that that, that that's above you in, in, in a sense to say that that's fighting for that same thing, and they they they're saying the same things you were saying to your team your team in the locker room when you're in Europe, and they're just all going for it, and that's that's something where you get to see them both sides, and it was it was kind of dope seeing that uh, you see James Harden and you see Chris Paul, and you see them getting that huddle and they say how much they want and how much it's a legacy and not only that it's about being a champion and that's that was pretty dope
1: you have, have had a very distinguished career in europe but you know earlier in your career correct me if i'm wrong you weren't really on the nba radar but mm-hmm. i'm sure you always thought to yourself like all right if i get a chance like i could play in this league i'm as good as some of those guys i agree with you by the way i mean i think there's nba guys that you're probably better than you know if mm-hmm. the, the phoenix suns had you instead of ellie Kobo, like they probably would be a little bit better off like you're a veteran point guard like you're not Going to make mistakes the way some of the younger guys in the league would. But as you got there and you played against some of these guys, both in your playing time and just seeing these guys in practice, did your opinion get informed at all were you like all right you know i feel like i can play with these guys or were you were you just like holy shit these guys are good like i didn't realize how good they are maybe not like oh i couldn't play with these guys but you're just like wow like look how good these guys are like seeing this in person this is like a revelation
2: oh no no once i once i got there and i got the practice with them i got to play i got the games it was more like man it was more like a motivation thing like i i should i really should try uh a lot harder when i was my 26 27 stage where i had an opportunity to go into nba team but I was making a lot of money in Europe where it wasn't the best decision financially, but I got them. I'm just like, man, I I could really play. I'm not saying I'm, I'm an elite player or I'm not even in the top, what, it's 250. I'm not in the top 100, but I know I can play. I'm not probably not in the top 200, but I know I can play and help teams there. But on top of that, it's just sometimes you get the – I looked, I was look just like, a lot of these dudes are, are fucking freaks. Like they they might not have like the type of skill or the wisdom or the knowledge like me with basketball, but they just like you look at their hands, you look at their arms, their wingspan, and how they jump and their body and how they recover. It's just it's it's a reason why they're in the NBA. I, I, there's no there's no way I can ever take that. From them um, in any way is the reason why every player that's in the NBA is in the NBA.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think once you get to you know the top hundred players in the world, you know, I think those guys are like clearly better than the people who are playing in Europe like Once you get below that, or or the top two hundred players, you know, I think it's kind of perception or it's where you are in your career. I mean, it's just it's kind of too bad for for someone like you where you know I mean because you sign you're non guaranteed for next year. People are like, okay, maybe you know he'll get guaranteed to be part of a trade or whatever, and yeah but I mean for you like I mean it seemed obvious for me from the outside we haven't talked about it but it didn't really make sense for you to stay there you know play summer league be nine guarantee maybe get cut going into the offseason for go overseas yeah. opportunities where you're going to make a lot more than you would as like you know second year experienced guy in the yeah. NBA it, it's just it's kind of a shame for me that that's kind of how the system works at, at this point in time
2: yeah it, it, it was like more of a it is it is weird that it works like that, and I was in a situation where, you know, I had a, such a a good Europe Europe a European career where that if I would have took whatever deal they gave me in the NBA it would have been a pay cut or something like that where it's just like you know it was more of a more of a family thing it was more for me like so I can I can play there and I know I can you know usually it's just me in Europe just saying like, I'm watching the game thinking like nah I can I can play in the NBA but I got the chance to play in it. I got to practice I got to be around a lot of guys I'm like oh yeah I definitely can play it it just checked off my list and now it's just more like whatever is gonna make me happy and put me in a comfortable situation for the life after after sports
1: the last time we talked on this show i asked you of like all right what what do you think is harder from like a physical standpoint and you it talks, a lot of people say oh the nba is way harder you play 82 games etc you made some good points i thought about how how much you have to practice in europe and some of the flights that you have to have and you know domestic and cup and, and euro league and, and all this stuff if you're playing at that type of a level do you still feel that way or, or having been exposed to the nba do you say do you have more of a thought that that might be harder now just to physically to go through a season
2: Oh my God, it's not, it's not, it's not harder. I mean, for James Harden, yeah. maybe, but uh, you got, you got a chef, you got, a, you got cooks on the plane. You got, you get on a plane from a road trip, you get on a plane from practice. I'm traveling. You got gourmet meals on the plane. You get all the recovery. This and that. It's just, it's totally different from like um, recovery wise NBA. It's not even close. It's, it's definitely harder to play in Europe, especially if you're in the top teams in Europe. Like Luca Donna said, it, it's harder to score in Europe. It really is. It's just, it's just a totally different. Um, it's, it's just it's just night and day so it's, it's even it's even hard to compare but I'm, I'm not taking away from anything like uh players that play like james harden or those two that play big minutes and have to get ready for a back and back or a back-to-back back or like they said like they play again friday so I, I'm, I'm sure that's tough on them too
1: yeah i mean and it, you know it's it's worth noting too you get all these advantages to like therapists and massage and stuff but you're going up against people who have those same advantages right so i mean like the maybe the energy output in a game for like those guys who have the ball in there hands every time because like Europe isn't really like that either right there's nobody like James Harden who's got the ball in his hands every single possession in Europe like they move the ball more guys play like 20 to 25 minutes so I mean I think it's it's just Tough to say when you, you've got kind of two different uh, ways of playing, but I—I I mean, I—I I feel you. I think most people would probably rather be in the NBA than Europe. I, mean, I know you have talked a lot about just how crazy long that European season is. Yeah,
2: yeah definitely, definitely, they'd rather be in the NBA. Um, I got—I got into that lifestyle of the NBA and I, how I traveled and how I know about the players. And then I, I went back to China and I was just around some of the coaching staffs, around some of the managers. Like, it shouldn't be like this. I want—I wish <laughs> I—you know—I mean, I wish I could like I had time to like really like put up a players players league and just tell them like how it should be and how how they should how it's how it's supposed to be and how to help manage the body to get the best um out out of your players but you know it's it's a way that it's never going to change i feel like and and, and the nba is totally different i got there and i was just like wow this is how it's how i'm supposed to be treated all the hard work i've done getting up to this i'm supposed to be treated like this
1: yeah and i think when you have players in the nba that you know are are their own brands and big assets the organization where you've got you know 100 million dollar contracts you really want to take care of those guys whereas overseas you know contracts aren't as long it's not there's not as much reason for the organization to be invested in a guy's overall health like beyond that year so uh china we haven't really talked that much uh, about what it's uh, been like there for you the last time we talked you're starting your first season there what were you thinking that would be like uh, and how has it been any different than uh, what you thought and how has it been different uh, than europe
2: um it's it's i thought it'd be different when it comes to like um competition wise being competitive um because you know europe is you have uh several Americans you have several Europeans you have uh, the good domestic league you're playing against top players stuff like that and in China you only have two uh, two uh, domestic I mean two uh, foreigners on your team two americans and the rest is chinese but if you look at it when it comes to top eight teams in china that is real competitive it's uh um, yeah it's it's a it's a tough league when it comes to top eight they but it's 12 other teams where it's, it's totally different where it's you can literally take a day off and, and you can win games if one of your other imports play and and you're and you got a good uh chinese and you got a good chinese squad but um when it comes to traveling and and having more freedom for Americans it's is, is totally different because Americans in Europe looked at you look at it as the equals you know you got a player like Mis Theodosius and yourself you looked at it as the equal. you got a player named um Chung Lin on, on your on your Chinese team and you're and you're an American you looked at it like okay you're American you got more responsibility you can got more freedoms you can do whatever you want you can shoot 30 shots essentially like that um, so that that was the big difference.
1: Yeah, I mean, there are a lot of Chinese players now who, and obviously it's a huge country. There's a, a a lot of people there who play basketball. What do you think of just the overall system there? And, you know, it seems like they haven't really been produced that many players since Yao or, or, or since E. Do you have any thoughts just on the overall system there and why maybe they haven't been able to develop more players? Is it just like an athleticism thing? Is it their development system? Like, What is it, do you think?
2: I think, I think they, 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 uh, they run their players down. Um, I, you see a lot of players, like I, I look at them right now, and they say, like, oh, this, it's always like this. Like, you see a lot of young prospers where uh, if they're 17 or 18 year old. they're long, they're athletic. And then a couple years, from now, they can't even move as much. It's, well, I mean, it's it's very disciplined. You live in a dorm most of your As soon as you get 17, you get on the older team. You live in a dorm your whole career. Like you don't you don't see your family as much. You probably see your family one month of the year, and they practice every day, Nate. Every day, hard. Like and it's like it, it's 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 a lot of wear and tear on them. And the players that that was supposed to be good, they don't really get to their full potential because their their knees hurt or their, their legs. Or they, just, they just they just get. Shout out at the beginning of 17, 18, and 19, and then they're done.
1: Yeah, I think it's tough too when you you don't – the most creative players to me – in the u.s the the guys who grew up like playing pickup right i mean you have to develop kind of your own passion for the game and the ability to to be creative and it doesn't seem like they have that there it seems like it's so regimented and and maybe that's why they can never produce any guards in addition to the fact that you know i don't think that they necessarily have the same type of wingspan necessarily you know or the same athleticism just you know as a general proposition there's exceptions to that but you know it seems like compared to some of the players in other leagues it's not the case as much I
2: was I was just gonna say that there's not it's not a it's it's no it's no freedom, it's no like let's go play pickup and let me go pretend I'm someone else and dribble around and, and use my imagination and, and create a game for myself and have fun with it. It's like, you know what, you do this and you're gonna do this exactly in the game. It's all drilled drilled from eight AM till twice a day until six o'clock at night and then they go eat in their dorm and they do it again the next day. It's it, it, it kinda hurts hurts the uh the passion for them and like I said, it, it puts a lot of wear and tear on their body. Um
1: so what's the next for you now, uh, where are you playing this year?
2: Uh, I'm I'm still in talks with my team back in uh, China. Um, you know, back in Beijing, uh, we want to see what what we want to do for next year. Um, I'm I'm at a point right now where um, I'm I'm good financially. Uh, where I just want to see where. I'm gonna have fun, or who's gonna who's gonna contend for a championship to add something else on my uh, on my my my, uh, my accolades before I retire. I just want to be in a situation where I'm most happy. Happy. In. Um, I'm, I'm very thankful that I'm in this position where I get to pick and choose and, and not and not be overly desperate over any any job that's offering. So I'm gonna take my time. I'm gonna get I'm gonna get healthy. I got I got a bruised um, patella, and, and then I'm gonna see what's from there.
1: All right, man. Well, uh, we'll be. Tracking that uh with rapt interest, and uh, appreciate you uh, you coming on it. again. It's always awesome uh, to have you. um I, I can edit out that story if you want about <laughs> about what no, you're doing in LA uh no, before, before before that Kings game. Uh, no, let
2: that go, and, and you can even leave the fuck in there. Leave the fuck in there.
1: Yeah, no, no. I mean that's that's why I, I have you on. I mean, there's for where this show is. It's we don't need to have people on who are just gonna like give us a, a bunch of cliches and stuff. So that's, yeah. that's what that's why. I appreciate talking to you so much. So uh, this is great. Thanks again.
2: Uh, Of course, at Amica insurance. We know
1: it's more than just a house. It's your home, the place that's filled with memories, the early days of figuring it out to the later years of still figuring it out. For the place you've put down
0: roots. Trust Amica Home Insurance. Amica. Empathy is our best policy.